Jonah three ten to four eleven. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion, and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, "O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God." slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine, and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Fantastic. Okay, it's great to see you all here. This is our last um, part of the book of Jonah. If you're just joining us for the first time today, we've been working through the book of Jonah. So it's printed on the sheet that you got on your way in. And um, let's pray that God would um, help us to understand his word as we look at this section together today. Our loving Father, we give you great thanks for all that you've taught us in this um, book in the Old Testament. Lord, help us to See how it relates to our lives now of following Christ. Lord, reveal things to us uh, by your spirit, Lord, about, about ourselves and about your word so that we can follow you more closely and we can live the life that you want us and call us to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How often in your daily life do you get to a point where you think, oh, this is the million dollar question. You've heard used that idiom before, that phrase before. I actually think it started as the $64 question back in the 1940s and then it's kind of inflation's happened and now you might even say the $64 million question. Often for me, this is the question in my day, in my daily planning, the $64 million question is, are our kids going to sleep properly tonight? And it doesn't really affect me because I'm pretty hopeless in the night. Tara's done it pretty much on her own, but it does affect the whole family, whether the kids sleep well at night. But the $64 million question or the million dollar question, whatever it is, for the book of Jonah, the million dollar question comes up in this passage. And the million dollar question in the story of Jonah is, has God done the right thing? 
this greatly evil city of Nineveh has been spared from a judgment that would be perfectly fair for them to receive. And as we read at the end of chapter 3, God saw how they turned from their evil ways. And so he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. See, like we heard in the kids' talk, Jonah's, there's been this long journey leading up to this as Jonah's been called to go and preach repentance to these people. And he's run the other way. And we've kind of uncovered a whole lot of, a lot of things that that teaches us. And, and we'll come back to those at the end of this talk this morning. But as Jonah's eventually got there, and, and only by the work of God have these people relented and, and turned away from their, their sin, they've taken on the word of God, well, has God done the right thing? In this passage, we've got to explore the things that we see here about Jonah's anger, because he's an angry man. We see a very angry man. It doesn't go away, and even at the end of it, it doesn't resolve. By the end, we don't learn that Jonah turned out to you know, let go of his anger or deal with his anger or remain. We don't know. He never even comes up in the Bible again. We're going to explore in this passage the nature of God's grace. What does God's grace actually look like? And this will give us an opportunity in looking at these things to think about our own lives and the times that when we question whether God gets things right and ask that big question, how can a God of justice allow evil to go seemingly unpunished? Now for Jonah, he's seeing a bit of an oil and water scenario, you know, like when things just don't seem to miss. Mix, he can't see that God's justice and anger, sorry, his, his justice and his mercy can actually miss. He just wants the mercy to be brought on these people. But what this really teaches us is that Jonah is a very self-righteous person. And the real mismatch in this passage is his self-righteousness and the compassion that God has. They're the things that don't really mix. See, what this passage, I think, teaches us is that as we receive the grace of God, we must also hope for that grace to be held out. And that's the thing that Jonah misses. You see right at the start that Jonah's got the perspective completely wrong. It's kind of like so colossal that it's like the way that people used to think that the earth was flat. Like for centuries and centuries, people thought that's just what it was like until they could get out and actually look down on it. Or what did they do? They actually sailed one way and found that they didn't fall off. Or however they actually discovered it. It's not my strong point of history. But however they actually discovered it, they realized that it was actually a big old ball. And Jonah hasn't done that. Jonah hasn't got that perspective that God has in this story. And so that's why at the very first verse of this chapter 4, it says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Not because it was wrong, but because he had the wrong perspective. And it tells us there that he is angry. And so Jonah goes in prayer to God, but it's not really prayer. It's more like, can I have the complaints department, please? Because he's saying to God this stuff like, Isn't this what I said would happen when I was still at home? I tried to warn you before I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. Oh, this sounds a bit more like 
a prayer, doesn't it? I know that you're gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger, abounding in love. Well, that kind of sounds like a psalm, doesn't it? So like a prayer. But then he somehow gets to this point. Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die. What's going on? It's almost like a reverse psalm. It's like an anti-psalm, isn't it? You should never say these things about God and get to the point where you just want to die, where you just want to end your life now because it seems hopeless. And what's happened is actually, as he as said that, he's actually completely misquoted part of the book of Exodus. Let me show you where those words come from. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7 say this. The Lord, the Lord... The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Well, Jonah's remembered that bit, but he hasn't read verse 7. Maintaining love to thousands, yet and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents for the, to the third and fourth generation. See, Jonah can only see the grace of God at work and he forgets that God will bring justice. And he doesn't have that perspective yet. And what he's really done is he's simplified who God is. His picture of God just isn't big enough. And that's the first clue to understanding how he's got to this point. If we have a picture of God that just isn't big enough and isn't taking in to account everything that the Bible tells us about him, we will misunderstand God. We will create a God that just isn't the God of the Bible and we will either have a false hope or we will reject him for the completely wrong reasons. The thing is, we as Christians, as we grow in following God, as we grow in Christ, we need to know God as he is revealed in the Bible. And that's Jonah's first big mistake. How did he become so angry? Because he stopped listening to God. See, the, the irony in this book is that everyone's listening to God. Right back in the first chapter, the, the storm, the, you know, the weather is listening to God. The sailors end up listening to God. The fish is listening to God. The Ninevites are listening to God. The plant that comes up is listening to God. Even a little worm is listening to God. Even the cattle are listening to God. But Jonah will just not listen to God. It sounds as ridiculous as it is, but that's the point. He's not listening to God. And so he is mightily angry at God. Now thinking about this, God allows us, God is gracious with us and allows us and actually calls us to express a heap of emotion. Like the Bible is full of a whole lot of emotions. We can express our laments, our sadnesses, our frustrations. We can express our joy and we can express our sorrow and we're encouraged to be like that. That's how God has made us. The Psalms, the book of Psalms, take us through that whole myriad of emotion and we should be reading them and we should be praying them. And we can even have space in our life for anger. When we're anger, angry at, at injustices, when we're angry at things that happen wrong, at sin and evil and destruction. But you will never find a cause to be angry at God. There is no place for any human being to raise their fist at God in anger. God never fails to be good. 
He never fails to remain faithful. That's why I chose that song at the start of the service. Great is thy faithfulness. God never fails to do what is right and to do what is fair. You listen to the testimonies of several people that become Christians. They talk about how for years and years they were angry at God. But then they hear the gospel, they hear the fullness of what God has done, both his justice and his mercy. His justice in punishing sin, but the mercy is that it's his son that is punished. And it diffuses that anger. It takes that anger away. You might be angry at God. Are you angry at God? Are you angry over something that's happened in your past? Are you angry over your upbringing? Or something that's happened to you when you're a kid? Are you angry that you don't have something? That you don't have what someone else has? Or that your marriage didn't work out the way that someone else's did? Or are you angry that your house isn't as many stories as your neighbour or your cousin or your brother or whatever? We get angry that things don't work out the way that we hope. And the good news too is that the God that we sometimes get angry at is still the gracious God that we meet interacting with Jonah here. Sure, he puts him in his place, but he puts him in his place and holds out his grace. Listen to how God graciously challenges Jonah here. Is it right for you to be angry? See, God could pronounce that it is wrong for you to be angry and bring on him what he deserves, but he doesn't. But Jonah remains angry. And he says there, it's so bad that he wishes to die. He's suicidal. That's serious. Now, I don't want to say much about, about suicide and, and that, but, and it can't be oversimplified. People that end up in that kind of dark place aren't thinking straightly. And if you know anyone like that, you need to help them and you need to get them help. And if you're feeling like that, ask for help. But That kind of thinking isn't compatible with the hope that we have in the gospel. And the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus is the only hope that anyone in any situation has, especially someone that is feeling suicidal. The worldviews of nihilism and existentialism, if you know what they are, they essentially realise the hopelessness that there is if you completely cut got out of the picture. That's where you've got to end up. And it is to ultimately feel like there is no point. I just want to die. But the hope of the gospel is far bigger than that. And the reality of it is far bigger than that. When we talk about this as Christians and, and when we get into the area, not of suicide, but of like euthanasia or assisted suicide, often we, we recognise that life is sacred and so it's not really anyone's place to decide when another person would die or to assist them in that. Well, I actually thought, and I was, I was taught by this passage, that there's actually far more important reason why we should take a stand against euthanasia. Because the people that are wanting to die need to hear the gospel. That's the only hope that they will find. They might end their pain. 
But unless they know Jesus, it's not going to improve for them one iota. Back to the story of Jonah. It all spirals for Jonah. It all goes bad from the beginning when he misses who God is. And so as God puts him in his place, we see that God humbles him and he kind of just goes quiet. And so what does Jonah do next? Well, he actually goes up onto a, a clearing, onto a hill somewhere where he can look back over the city of Nineveh. And we learn that he now builds himself a little shelter. And, and if you know back to what God gave to Jonah as the message to take to the Ninevites, he says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. So repent. That's the essence of his message. 40 days isn't up yet. So Jonah's gone up there to see that hopefully maybe some of the Ninevites might slip up and God might bring distraction and calamity. That's literally what he's doing. He's kind of got over, I, I want to die, and he's just like sitting there now hoping, oh, fingers crossed, I hope that it all goes wrong for these people, and they suddenly get smashed by God. Well, God is going to teach him a lesson. But just as we think about that, when anyone becomes a new believer, how do we interact with them? I know that I've often have sometimes a suspicion that, well, hang on, yeah, sure they turned up to church this week, but is that really going to last? I can see a little bit of Jonah in myself here, particularly with teenagers, because a lot of my uh, work has been to share the gospel with teenagers, and you see teenagers accept it. They don't fully understand it, but they do accept it. And it's so easy, I find, to think that the rowdy ones, well, they might, you know, they might believe it now, but they'll probably forget it. But the kids that are generally well-behaved and pleasant and good, they're the ones that I often find myself thinking that are actually going to go on following this. And it's never really the case. It's never really the case at all. See, we can easily be like Jonah is being here and get, get conf- you know, not really trust that there's genuine faith there. But we don't need to worry about that. And this is what I think is gonna, this part is going to show us. What does God do? God grows a plant for Jonah. And it really delights Jonah. All of a sudden, he's not angry anymore. God's made this plant grow for him, and he's stoked about it. And then, goes to sleep. The next night, wakes up. God sent a worm to eat up the plant. And not only that, God's turned the wind up. He's turned the heat up. And Jonah's sitting there and he's just getting smashed by this hot kind of like, I don't know, desert wind or something. And now he's back to his angry state again. It's like God switched on his angry button, switched it off and then switched it on again. And it's kind of like he's tasting a little bit of the wrath of God. God just gives him a little taste of what he's hoping to see to come on Nineveh, what he believes should be coming on Nineveh. See, without the plant, he's exposed to God's wrath. Now, I had to think about this. What, what um, the passage tells us first is that Jonah went up and built his own shelter. And then God came along and built a, a, grew a plant for him. Why does God grow the plant when he already had his own shelter? Well, we already know about Jonah that he's completely self-righteous. He thinks that he is, he is 
worthy to, to be a prophet of God, to be in the position that he is because of his identity as an Israelite, as a prophet, all those kind of things. God needs to teach him that, no, that's not how it works. Grace comes from, grace is the gift of God. I will provide shelter for you, says God to him. And not only that, the provision that I provide, the, the shade that I provide is better. It's the one that will actually do something for you. I will give it to you. It's better than what you can do for yourself. Is it? actually reminded me, what did Adam and Eve do when they first sinned? They went and sewed fig leaves together to cover their their nakedness. And then what's God do after he judges them but also shows them mercy? Well, he sews together animal skins, a more permanent covering. God's plan is, in a way, a parable of his mercy and compassion. He's the one that in his mercy will provide a covering. But the whole plant growing and then the plant being eaten also reminds us that it's God's to give and it's unearned and it is his to take away. And it actually then expands and it becomes a summary of how God has interacted with Nineveh. It is God's place to show mercy to that city. The compassion of God is, is what this is all, all, all telling us about. When God saw how, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Do you share God's compassion? In the way that you see the, the things that happen, the, the things that you see on the news, the things that are happening in the lives of people around you, in your family, your extended family, your neighbours, do you have the compassion of God? You will only have that compassion if you know the nature of God. If you yourself are growing in the benefits of that compassion in your own life, Will you have that compassion for other people? Remembering that we're all dependent on his mercy and his grace. That we're not oversimplifying or or overemphasizing aspects of who God is. See, God is good. And that's a rich statement to say that God is good because God is so good that he will not let any sin go unpunished. Not one little bit. But God is so good that he let the price for that sin be paid by his one and only son. And his goodness means grace and it means mercy. Well, even though these plant things played out for Jonah, Jonah is still angry and he's probably, you know, angry 11 out of 10 now. Jonah's so angry that he's still talking about needing to die and he repeats his question in verse 9. Is it right for you to be angry? Oh, sorry. It is, God. I'm so angry I wish that I were dead. But God repeats his answer in verse 10. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. 
And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God explains why he did this plant, grew this plant for Jonah, because he wanted to teach Jonah this lesson. He wanted Jonah to realize that it is his, all those things that I just said, that it is his to show grace and it is his to take it away. But really, he did it to reveal Jonah's heart. He wanted to show Jonah exactly what was going on inside of his heart. And God reveals the nature of his affection for Nineveh, for these people. It's, like, it's the same God that is on a cross praying for the people that are crucifying him. Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. To the very people that are nailing in his hands and jeering at him and spitting at him. That's the God that we encounter here. That's who Jesus is. And when we talk about... Uh, when we talk about God's salvation and the way that God works inside someone's heart and, and the doctrine of, of what we call predestination and of God's sovereignty, it can, it can sound, and it can sound quite confusing. And if you're not sure what that is, then you can talk to, to someone later. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. But when we think about how God shows his grace to people, we can, often, we can often get ourselves caught in, in, a, in confusion and thinking that God is somehow unfair in what he does. But when we find ourselves in that place, I think that we might do well to remember the gracious nature of God. Listen to that verse 11 again. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. If God is that concerned for this group of people who were, like, like I've said previously, as bad as ISIS with the military technology of America or the resources, like these guys were one of the worst groups of people in all of human history. If that's how God feels about him, then won't he do great things in bringing people into his kingdom. That's just a thought. That $64 million question, has God done the right thing, is pretty clear. God never fails to do the right thing. And the goodness of God is that he is both gracious and merciful, and that's not a contradiction. Those things perfectly are held together in who God is. And it gives us a completely different $64 million question. What do we do with the grace that has been shown to us? What do we do with the grace revealed in our own life? Now, the thing I think about this is it's actually not a once-for-all kind of decision. Like after we've received his grace. It's not like we've got to, you know, write out a thesis, what are we going to do with this grace? It's actually a series of everyday life decisions, of every small decisions. Every aspect of our life ought to be lived in response to the grace that's shown us. And it becomes the question, what are we doing? What are you doing? 
How is your life being shaped and transformed by the grace that has personally been shown to you in Jesus? And the book of Jonah has been an awesome book to study because like we've said, at the very end there, there's no ending. There's no, it's just left hanging with this question. And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh? And we know that it's written this way so that it would become a mirror, so that it would actually reflect things on us. And as we've gone through the whole book, it's reflected a whole bunch of things. Like, are we running away from God like Jonah was? Are we doing the bare minimum? Like when Jonah goes and he, he gives all five words of his, of his call to, to repent. He, you imagine the testimony that Jonah could have had when he went into Nineveh. Listen to this, guys. I was meant to come to you and I was so foolish that I didn't, but then God rescued me by this fish and then it vomited me. You won't believe this, but it's true. He didn't even need to do that, did he? Is it a mirror? Do you just do the bare minimum? Do you complain the way that Jonah complains? Are you angry at God the way that Jonah was? Do you have that self that he does. That's the mirror that this book shines on us and it will shine areas where we are like this. What are we going to do with the grace shown to us? Are we going to let it transform those parts of our life? And how does it affect how we share with other people? See, if we're anything like Jonah, we will believe that somehow we, we deserve what God has given to us. We deserve the grace shown to us. We deserve Jesus' death on the cross. And so for that reason, we, we might not share it. We might not think that you know, it's applicable or, or, or possible for other people to believe it. We might think that we live kind of self-made lives and, and it just... You know, kind of like we get a bit of the grace of God in our life, but also I've got, you know, all these great things. I've got a great family because I've done a good job and I've got a great house because I've worked really hard and I've got my career built because I've put in the hard yards. And then we kind of think, well, sure, look, I'll give a little bit to you, God, because I'll I'll put myself out there a little bit because you've been gracious to me, but, you know, I'm not really willing to you know, give more of my time to serve in that way because I've, I've worked hard to, to earn that rest or that retirement. I'm not really going to work, you know, I'm not really going to give that extra bit of, of my paycheck because I've kind of worked really hard to earn that. And this mindset can creep in. Do we believe that we are living self-made lives and become unwilling to sacrifice and to share. I was reading through the week and, and this psalm puts it right. This psalm expresses to us the way that our call and our, our evangelism, our sharing, our mission to people should actually work. Listen to Psalm 47 verses 1 and 2. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. 
If you really consider the grace of God shown to you, they will be your words. If you really understand it, they will be what is on your lips. There's a little comment on what was written here, and it says, God is the fuel that our souls were designed to run on. Rather than thinking of ourselves as an embattled political minority or persecuted underdogs, that pretty much sums up Jonah, doesn't it? These nasty Ninevites. It says here, Christians should be so overflowing with the joy of our salvation that we feel the privilege of singing his praises to those who do not know him. What a great prayer that God would reveal that that grace in us to that extent, that we would grow more and more toward that. See, Jonah was asking, and and this, this chapter makes us ask, has God done the right thing? Well, let's think about it in our context. Has God done the right thing in Jesus? Like I've already said, Jesus is where God's mercy and his justice are held together. See, if you ask anything of Jesus other than to take your sin and pardon all of it because you believe somehow you have some merit of your own, well, then you actually don't understand the gospel. That's what our our Catholic brothers and sisters get, get hung up on and get confused about. Jonah believed that God's grace was unjust for other people and he believed that somehow he added to it. But at the cross, Jesus pays the full price to hold out grace to us. And he's held it out to you. And so as we receive that grace, as we benefit from it, we must hope for that grace to be held out. We should be constantly reorienting our lives toward this. And I want to encourage us to let that be the prayer for our church as well. Sure, we might be in like a transitional kind of season. What are we doing? Well, we're meeting in a school hall because we don't have our own facility that does what this does. We're searching for a pastor. We're serving in different ways. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're praying, pray for our church that we would be holding out the hope of the grace of God just as we've received it. There's nothing here that that we've worked for. It's all the provision of God. It's all the grace of God. Those words from Psalm 47 to finish up again. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He is compassionate and abounding in love. He will judge. So treasure the grace shown to you in Jesus and hope in that grace being shouted out with cries of joy like the psalm says. Let's pray to that end. Loving Father, we give you great thanks for the richness of your word. Lord, we thank you for the account of Jonah and Lord, for all that it reveals to us about you. Lord, help us to be transformed and to to know your transformation. Lord, to know the power of your spirit to bring new life in us. Lord, let that grace work in us day by day. Lord, let us not be like Jonah, 
Father, let us, let us not get caught up and become angry over things that we have no right to be angry over. But Lord, let, our, let your compassion come down on us. And Father, by your compassion, Lord, show us the truth as it is revealed. Lord, let us not create our own understanding of who you are, but Lord, let us have hearts that are humble and will listen to your word, Lord, as you've revealed yourself to us. And Lord, let us know what it means that you are truly good. In Jesus' name, amen.